Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode seven, lucky number seven of the Mike and Joe Strength Show. Today we have our third guest on, longtime friend and lifetime yote, Dylan Carlson. Dylan, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself to the, the fan base and we'll get going here. All right. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on board. Um, Listen to the episodes, the couple before here with the interviews and really like the show. Um, my name is Dylan Carlson. Like Joe said, I am currently a student of physical therapy at the University of Minnesota in the Department of uh, Rehabilitation Medicine. Um, I did my undergrad at USD, got my Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology Exercise Science with a coaching minor. Um, and I played with these two yahoos on the uh, Yacht Club team, so know them very well. Yeah, fun fact, Carlson is the smallest player to ever play for the USD club team. Smallest guy. I have been, I have been told that, yes. Without a doubt. All right, Dirty Mike, are you willing to start off with our questions here for our beautiful guest? Yeah. Um, let's see. What were your expectations kind of going into PT school? And what have you learned so far that you were not expecting to learn? good questions um so when i started applying to pt school i figured you know we would have our typical you know learning exercises learning how to you know give a home exercise plan to a patient and learning how to stretch people and all that jazz um i was expecting you know to learn the basics of pt what i thought was pt and the biggest thing that i noticed um, biggest thing that I wasn't expecting, I should say, when going to PT school was how in-depth we got right away. Um, we started off our program with a two-month anatomy, like crash course, basically, where it was every day for four hours. We were in lecture for two hours, and then we were in cadaver lab for two hours, learning anatomy every day for two months straight. Um, and then... You know, our fall, our fall course, we started to get into the, uh, the basics of, you know, how to test range of motion using a goniometer, you know, typical PT stuff. And then last semester, we got into, you know, learning about neuroscience and learning about different ways pain is uh, felt by people and different pathways of pain and different ways that muscle fibers align with each other during injury and stuff like that. And we get really in-depth. Um, and... It's, it was very interesting and also kind of overwhelming at first, but I think we, we got on board with it as a class pretty quick. That's good. Yeah, you talk about that neuroscience stuff. Um, Joe has mentioned reflexive performance reset. I've looked into it a little bit, but one of the interesting ones is like the, your glutes are somehow connected to like right behind your jaw. Have you learned anything about why that is in your anatomy crash course? So um, I actually have some familiarity with RPR. I did my internship senior year at USD at Power in Sioux Falls, the strength and conditioning clinic up there. Um, and a lot of our, um, our coaches were big into RPR. At least they like, had heard about it and they were looking into it. Um, as far as us learning about it here, we had not heard about it at all um i think that's mainly because it's very new 
Um, there's a lot of research that needs to be done on RPR, on its efficacy, on its viability in the rehab setting. And I guess as far as I can say, I can't really comment on whether or not I've heard of its availability to us as PTs yet. Sorry, Mike. That's interesting because you're at the University of Minnesota, correct? Like Golden Gophers? Yep. Have you guys had anything to do with like Cal Dietz or anything? Has he spoken to any of your lectures or? Um, no, actually, I'm a big fan of Cal Dietz. Um, watched a lot of his videos. Um, he's, like, he's one of the best strength and conditioning coaches that I've ever seen. He's a genius when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, obviously, being a kinesiology major in undergrad and doing my internship at a strength and conditioning clinic, I was pretty familiar with Cal and what he did here. Um, but I think the big thing that I've heard from our faculty is that we're trying to get in with the athletic programs a little bit more, um, create more contact information, cr create more opportunities for the students to get in, maybe learn a little bit from Cal, learn a little bit from, you know, maybe the football strength and conditioning coach, because Cal mainly works with like track and hockey. Um, he's, he's big into those sports, especially hockey. Um, and I think that the way Cal approaches strength and conditioning is a great way that we should approach PT as well as looking into things, always being, you know, wanting, wanting to learn something new. And it seems like he's always done that. So I hope we can in the future. Mm. Absolutely. So as far as PT school goes, how would you compare it to maybe what your schooling was like at USD. So USD, obviously you were, you're a kinesiology major, correct? Yep. So kinesiology kind of take the basic classes of like exercise physiology, biomechanics. What are the, some of the more interesting stuff that you guys are digging into there at PT school up at Minnesota? Um, I would say it's a lot of the same. So it's, we have had um, another physiology course. We've taken biomechanics course, we've taken anatomy which you all have to do for a kinesiology degree at USD, but it's just so much more in depth. So for physiology, we're learning why you, you know, why your muscles get sore, why your, um, why your muscles work, why your brain works, like not just muscle and exercise portion, but why your heart pumps and like how your lungs work and how your lungs are affected by certain disease. Um, so I would say those core courses, biomechanics, anatomy, physiology, those are our core courses here as well. Um, it's just a lot more detail than we got at USD and that's not knocking USD at all. I had a great education there. I was just, I would just say that it's a lot more detail. Um, and then once you get into the PT side of this stuff, um, it's more of, you know, learning how to take range of motion measurements, how to understand, you know, how the brain works with your muscles, how to understand how, you know, your heart and your lungs can play into your rehab. Um, we are currently taking a course in pharmacology. So we're learning how different meds interact with rehab. Um, it's, it's just a lot more in depth of what goes on into a PT session and into the PT's profession. Wow, so that we, sounds pretty in depth. So talking to Megan a couple of weeks ago, um, with the athlete, we learned a little bit about what athletic trainers kind of do with athletes. 
uh, what roles do uh, PTs have with athletes, maybe other than just that injury rehab? I would say, so if I can, you know, step on, step onto a soapbox real quick. Um, PTs, we have always kind of been known as the people who, you know, get athletes, get people better after an injury. Um, we're kind of trying to lead a charge here at the U of M and with a lady called Shirley Sarman, who's kind of like the godmother of our, she's a genius. She's been around forever. Um, she's leading the, move, the movement of PTs being known as the experts of movement, just like dentists are the expert of teeth and strength and conditioning coaches are the experts of getting athletes ready to perform. Um, and all the, all the different things that you guys do, we're trying to become known as the experts of movement. And that includes how people walk, how people run, how people shower, how people get ready in the morning, you know? Um, and I think that the biggest thing that I've seen that we are, we're learning how to look at someone's movement, like during a functional movement and diagnose from that, what kind of problems they may be having internally. Like they may be reaching for something weird. They may have a movement in their shoulder that isn't quite right. And we can tell from that movement if they have say a labral cuff tear or a labral tear or a rotator cuff tear, or maybe just a tight pec. And we can apply that to athletes and we can apply that to athletic movement. So if you see a football player, a lineman get down in a squat, well, say his knee collapses in all of a sudden, his right knee collapses in, you look at that movement and you say, maybe he's got, you know, a weak glute. Maybe he's got a weak, he's got a weak, um, weak quad. Maybe he's got some instability in his knee. And you can look at those things and maybe prehab him before an injury happens. And I think that's a big thing that physical therapists are starting to move towards is that prehab side of it. Um, we've always been, there's always been orthopedic medicine. There's always been orthopedics uh, in PT. It's where we're working with athletes and we're working at, with them after, say, an ACL tear. Um, I think that's probably one of the most common ones that you'll see a PT work with is an ACL tear. Um, but we want to be able to look at someone's movement before that tear and maybe fix it before it happens. And I think that's what we're trying to move towards as a profession. Yeah, if that's something you can diagnose just as like with visual cues like that, that's um that can be like a real powerful tool into improving somebody's performance too. Um I know a lot of what I do with Tyler's Performance Institute, they can you can take certain movements that may not be where you want them to be, and it can almost even predict how you're hitting the golf ball on the course, like maybe if you can't quite get your arm all the way back in a full 90-90 um, external rotation, you're slicing the ball or you're hitting a high shot that's not going very far. It's just little things like that that you wouldn't even, couldn't even imagine they're affecting a golf swing. Right. And that, that brings it back to, you know, looking at people's movement as a holistic movement you know say you you're walking someone walk down the street you see you might look at them and be like ah there's nothing really wrong with them they're they're walking fine but then you go talk to them and they got the tight quad they got a tight gastroc they got tight you know ankle joint in general 
but then you talk to them and you learn those things and you look back at their walking again and you're like, oh, they're toe off. They're, they're not even getting their heel to the ground or they're not even getting their toes to the ground. They're, you know, they're towing off really high. And you can kind of look at those things and you can see why those impairments are, hap are happening. So mm -hmm. yeah, I kind of agree. It's, it's a very holistic movement kind of thing. Yeah, I'll actually sit on my deck here and I'll watch people, I'll just people watch walk by and everyone, whenever they walk, their, their heads are always cranked down like that. And I assume it's because they're just walking and they're looking for something they can, they could possibly trip over. But I know in today's day and age, we're always on our computer, we're always on our phone, you know, we talked about this before, always hunched over. What are some of the things that you guys kind of talk about that in PT school about maybe kind of correcting the, the spine angle of us always being in like cervical flexion? Yeah, um, so right away in our first fall semester, that's when we take biomechanics. And in that semester, um, we also learn about ergonomics, you know, desktop, you know, um, positioning, how you're looking at a screen, how you're looking at a phone. Um, and our biggest thing we always tell people is get your back against the chair when you're at the desk. Make sure you know your screen's at your head height, and I'm a hypocrite right now. I don't have anything to prop my laptop on, laptop up on. Um, but you know, get your get your chin out of your chest. That's the biggest thing that we tell our, our people. Kind of think about it. It looks funny at first, but it's going to really help your cervical spine up here. Is really getting your chin kind of tucked back into your neck, and it's. It, it's a neutral position for your neck. You look kind of funny when you're doing it, but if you can just check yourself every once in a while when you're sitting at your computer, you can tuck your chin back into your neck and relax your shoulders just like you did there. Uh, you, can really, you can really save yourself some neck pain in the future. Um, and you know, getting up and walking every once in a while doesn't help, it doesn't hurt either, so. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I also, I listened to a little bit of Dr. Tommy John. He's a chiropractor, former baseball player down in San Diego, I believe. And he talks a lot about how a muscle doesn't actually stretch. So a lot of times people, if they're sore, if they have DOMS or whatever, they're constantly stretching and they're trying to elongate this muscle to relieve that pain. Do you kind of believe, so he, he talks about how a muscle doesn't stretch. Obviously a muscle contracts it stays the same with an isometric move or it lengthens with eccentric. Do you feel as though that stretching has any kind of place in like the general public as far as like just fitness goes, like before someone's about to work out, like recommend stretching or anything like that? Or do you, do you think that just movement around joints is a better way to go? Hmm. Um, I would say both. I, I think you need to stretch muscles. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that statement that you can't stretch a muscle because we learn right away if there's a um, if there's a muscle that's been you know torn or pulled or something like that we're not supposed to stretch it because you can really stretch apart those myofibrils too far and then they can't get back together and you can actually end up doing more damage. Um, I think that stretching is a very good thing when muscles are tight so right after a workout i wouldn't say stretching is the biggest thing in the world maybe you just needed to have a cool down movement um, maybe a set of movements to cool your muscles down get blood flowing back into those muscles that you haven't maybe worked so, since the start of the workout you know 
get something like that going. Um, I think a stretch when you when you have contractures and you have spasticity in like a neural population or in a athlete that you know hasn't maybe performed in two weeks, he's been injured. He might need to stretch because his muscles just are tight, and they need to get ready to get into that optimal position um, for some movement. Because you're acting in myosin heads, they're the optimal position for them is isn't too far away and it's not too close together. So if it's too close together, those actin and myosin heads aren't gonna interact well and your muscles are too tight. And when they're too far away, they're obviously not gonna touch each other. So they're not gonna work as well. Um, so I think if they're too close together, you gotta pull them apart. You gotta stretch them. Um, warm up, I believe that's where the movement aspect that you talked about comes into play. Um, really getting a good functional mobility, I would say mobility more than stretch, get a functional mobility movement going during a warm-up. I think that might be better for an athlete. And so really um, quick, I'm gonna cut you off. Because really I mean, quick. even with like, yeah, go ahead. Um, when you say stretching versus mobility, how would you define those two? And then you can get back to your point. Sorry, I just wanted to interrupt quick. No, you're good. Um, Stretching, I think, is static stretching. So like we, what we learn in PT is the optimal position for us to move patients by like us moving them into a stretch and then holding it there for 20 seconds. That's a stretch. Mm -hmm. And that's for tight muscles. Mobility is, you know, say a T-spine mobility where you're doing a lunge, you're putting your elbow on the ground, and then you're twisting. You're opening up your T-spine, you're opening up your pec, your shoulder, all in one movement. It's mobility. You're creating space in the joints. You're creating, you're, you're creating blood flow into those muscles, and you're getting them ready to work. I think that's mobility. Almost like a like a paint primer. Like you got to yeah. put the you got to use the primer, or else the paint's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. You got to start with those nice, easy movements around your joints, around your mobile joints, and that's going to make them work better, whether it's a workout or a competition. Yep, I. I I'm a big fan of what we learned at power was you should be, you should be almost full on sweat by the time you get into your workout, your, your warm up should make you sweat. You need to be warm. You need to be ready to go. I'm not saying exert yourself. I'm not saying breathe heavy, heavy, but you should be sweating, you know, getting those muscles working. Interesting. So go on with what you were saying. Cause I didn't want to interrupt that train of thought. If you can remember it's, it. It, I, it's kind of slipped in my mind, but it's pretty much along the same lines. You know, you, you, you want to get movement when you're warming up, especially as an athlete, like pre-performance. Yeah. I feel, I feel like you need more movement than you do static stretching. Yeah. And I think to that point where you're getting the myosin and actin heads, if they're people like to stretch and if they're too far away, like you said, then it's a lot harder for that muscle to contract and create more force in um, less time like you want, especially in athletic, any type of athletic maneuver. Yep. Um, you look at some of the most flexible people in the world, gymnasts, um, swimmers. I, swimmers, I shouldn't say that. Swimmers have a lot of power in their muscles. They, they just do. They have a lot of power to be able to move very quickly. But say, you know, a gymnast who needs to splits, they have a lot of flexibility. They might not have a ton of power in their hamstrings. They might have strength and they might have strength to make sure that the muscle's not going to tear or it's not going to get hurt. But 
you know, the power perspective of them having so much flexibility that their ectomyosin heads aren't going to be able to shorten quick enough. That may be a thing. There's a lot of research on it that I haven't read all of it on. Um, and especially with fascial you know, components and stretching the fascia more than the muscle, you know, there's all kinds of things that go into it. Yeah. So I actually just kind of, I wrote a blog post this week. that was kind of about the misconception that people have with flexibility. Cause to me, flexibility is being able to have that range of motion and maybe, and not like having to warm it up. That's, that's a very flexible person. But a lot of people believe that if they just stretch their muscle, stretch their muscle, stretch their muscle, they're going to be more flexible. But if there's some muscular problem in your shoulder, let's say, that's could be blocking something. Like if you can't get your scapula stabilized, you can't move that shoulder around, even though you're stretching your shoulder muscles, you still have to work through that range of motion. And eventually you'll just get a little bit more and a little bit more and eventually achieve that like resting rate of range of motion i'd call it i guess yeah um i would say there's a good point you made to where the range of motion needs to be active in an athletic population um that's where the flexibility component kind of comes into play in their mind is they want that active range of motion so they're stretching to try and get there but you're right, they need to have stability with that flexibility. Otherwise, they're gonna you know, hurt themselves doing that active range of motion. Um, when it comes to you know the PT side of things, when we have a patient who um, is coming into us for you know some low back pain or something, or even some knee pain, and they've got you know a tight quad, they can't really extend their quad that much, so they're walking on their on their flat foot. We're gonna stretch out that quad. I mean, I'm sorry, their hamstring is tight, so they can't fully extend their leg. We're gonna stretch out that hamstring to the full, you know, 180 degrees, maybe even try to get 10 degrees of hyperextension so we can get them back to an appropriate walking pattern. And that's kind of where the PT side of things comes in. But yeah, your active range of motion in athletes is huge, for sure. Interesting. So being, Seeing the PT side of things and seeing the strength conditioning side of things, what would you kind of recommend to the, the general fitness population for if someone out there is just trying to get back into shape, they're trying to shed some pounds maybe, what would you recommend for them? Would it be like a cardio-based workout program? Would it be lifting with resistance training or just simply walking? Like what, what do you think that would be the best thing for them? Um, for people trying to lose weight, um, and I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not going to school to be a dietitian. Um, by any means. Um, but we've learned that the biggest thing that people can do is just be active. You know, the, AC, the uh, ACSM um, requirements, that's a, I'm blanking on the acronym right now, but it's, uh, oh, I forget what it is, but it's the, um, like basically the exercise gurus of America. <laughs> that's the best way I can kind of put it. Um, and they, recommend you know 150 minutes of moderate or of um yeah moderate exercise a week 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week either or and then a healthy you know lifestyle choices when in your nutrition um that's the biggest thing you can do to lose weight and maintain a healthy weight um 
you just need to be active. And they even say, you know, 10 minute increments during the day. Like even if that's what it takes to get you up to 150 minutes a week, you know, doing, if you, if you get up and walk for 10 minutes, three times a day, you're getting 30 minutes a day of moderate exercise. And then you do that five times a week and you're at your 150 minutes, you know, it's just being active, making the positive choice in your life to, you know, get up and move. I feel like movement is the biggest thing. I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that you need to do cardio, especially vigorous cardio. If you're, if you're a person that's struggling with weight, vigorous cardio right away is going to probably do more damage than it is going to be beneficial because you're going to want to jump in and, you know, jog three or four miles the first day, then you're not going to be able to do anything the next day. You just, you're going to be dog tired. So ease into it, you know, make healthy choices in your diet, in your diet. Um, and just, you know, move. I feel like movement is the best thing that you can do. Motion is lotion, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. That's I'll add on to that, that, um, resistance training, I think is a big thing because even with weight loss, even you want to build that muscle mass. So you have more of a base to burn calories during the day. It's because that's just going to, um, raise up your resting metabolic rate. And then let's say you have to skip a day working out. You won't, um, see as much as a backlash of that because your body's going to burn more calories from being inactive than it would, let's say eight weeks before where you started and you didn't have any muscle mass built up yet. Yeah. Yep. Resistance training is a huge part of it. Um, I believe they rec the ACSM recommends two to three days of resistance training a week. Um, and that's usually around eight exercises, you know, three sets of 10, your typical, you know, strength and conditioning that's your that's your platform that every strength and conditioning coach kind of works off of and then branches off into their own you know kind of ideas um at least that's what i've seen um it's kind of the base model um and yeah i feel like resistance training is a huge part of it so i know you've always been a huge lifter yeah i've done it for a while um what have you changed in your workout routine since you've gone to PT school and learned a little? It's a good question. Um, oh, I would say I'm a lot more focused on the eccentric portion of lifts for sure. Um, eccentrics are the building blocks for muscle damage because any, pretty much any, hardcore lifter, strength and conditioning coach, they're going to know that muscle damage is what it takes to build muscle. You need to take, you need to have that micro damage to the muscle fibers and you need to be able to build it back up with the protein and amino acids and different types of things in your diet and sleep is a huge one. Um, but the eccentric movement is where that muscle damage comes from. There's, we had a great exercise physiology professor in the fall who his primary research project, he's a three or four time PhD. And he, his primary research focus was eccentric movements and muscle fiber damage. And it's, it's shown more often than not that the eccentric portion of movements cause the most damage to muscle fibers. So if you really want to get the most out of your movements, go down slow and explode up. 
that's where the most force is being produced is when you is the slowest part of your eccentric movements and the fastest part of your concentric. That's where the most damage and force is being done to the muscle. So I say that's my that's my main focus at the gym now days. That's interesting. Can you talk maybe a little bit about um, isometric muscle actions? And because I've heard a lot about how isometrics are can be super good for the ligaments and the tendons and everything like that. So. Do you want to shed some light on maybe like isomet the isometric form of lifting? Yeah. So isometrics are, they're a, they're a part of fitness and they're a part of PT. They're a part of medicine. Um, isometrics are widely researched. Um, and the most that I've seen in the past year and a half since being at school is that isometrics are where your body is the most stable. It's where it produces a lot of force, but it's not very functional. Because tell me a point in a person's life where they're just going to be standing on one leg in a half squat. You know, tell me a point where someone's just going to be gripping the absolute crap out of something. <laughs> like it's, 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 a, it's a movement that's going to produce a lot of force. It's going to fatigue the muscle. It's going to do everything you want with a lift, but it's not going to teach that functional portion of the lift. It's not going to teach that functional portion of the movement. Um, we'll use them. We'll use them for, you know, stability reasons. You know, you want to build up ligament stability in the ankle. You're going to have somebody do, you know, bosu ball squats. You're going to have somebody do um, isometric holds in a single leg stance. Um, you're going to build scapular stability with, you know, push-ups in a cat-cow position where you're arching your back and you're squeezing your shoulder blades together, you know and holding those for a few seconds but as far as functionality i don't think that isometrics really have a place in the functional mo movement but everyone's everyone's got their own philosophy i guess interesting do you know what kind of effect it has on like the tendons of the joints and ligaments and everything like that is it um as far as tendons go it's going to be porting a lot of force on the muscle for an extended period of time so the tendons are probably going to be worked pretty good but that's not a bad thing tendons are very strong you know they're very hard very hard to break um it takes a lot of force to break a tendon um ligaments are even more even more so um but those isometric movements are going to add that kind of that muscle memory of how the muscles work with each other to kind of ensure that those ligaments don't bust, you know? So say you're doing a single leg stance on your ankle, your inverters and everters in your, in your calf and your intrinsic muscles, muscles in your foot are going to make sure that your ligaments don't snap. It's not that your, that your ankle doesn't roll over. Um, and that's kind of the isometric portion of that, I would say. Okay, cool. Sorry, I threw a hard one at you. No, you're good. I like this stuff. Absolutely. Good questions. That's why, that's why you're on, Carlson. <laughs> He's a genius. <laughs> oh, far from it. <laughs> oh, we're all getting there eventually. If you could only do one exercise for the rest of your life, what would it be? One weightlifting think, exercise. I've been thinking about this since you guys asked Nick in the last one. Um, my one exercise... Man, back in high school, I would have said bench. I love bench. Um, functionality now, I would say a goblet squat. Everyone can goblet squat. Ooh, that's, that's a good one. 
that's where you start a squat progression at, you know? So you got someone with a, with a dysfunctional squat movement, you put them on a goblet squat. It's the easiest way to look at things and correct things before you put them under a bar. So. Absolutely. We actually had a kid today training high school athletes and we had a, a kid, he's probably like 12 years old and just, you could tell he's never touched a weight in his life and we're trying to back squat with him. And it was just too many things to point out that were wrong. You know, his back, his head position, his knees, ankles, everything. So I was like, all right, well, let's, let's take this 20 pound dumbbell. Let's see your goblet squat. And it was like almost picture perfect. It's just, it's incredible how the body organizes itself when you just put a dumbbell right here and it's just like just a perfect squat. It's crazy. Yep. That was my favorite thing to do at power working with, you know, like 10, 11 year olds. I don't know why their parents brought them to the weight room. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of, you know, kids getting in there that early, but you put them under a goblet squat and they're not going to do anything wrong. It's, yeah. it's a good movement, especially to build up strength. It's a great movement. Mm -hmm. So I've always, I've always liked to do like simple power type exercises with kids. Like, yep. um, not even like a med ball weight wise, but doing medicine ball throws, chest passes. I've used the soccer ball as the piece of equipment before. And then oh, yeah. I'd like to, uh, it's a lot of the teaching form for some of your plyometrics. Um, just simple, simple, simple plyometrics, like a straight up vertical jump might not even get them into a squat jump. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one we used a lot too. Was, you know, kids love jumping on stuff. Jump on that box. <laughs> There's an easy plyometric for a kid, you know. It's, yeah, just keep it simple, right? Absolutely. Mike, you got anything else? That's it. Um, thank you, Dylan Carlson, for coming on the show. I think that's the first time I've ever used your first name. Yeah, I think it's about six or seven years knowing you. It's been, a, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe one other time. Yep, we always, Dirty Mike and Crazy Joe. <laughs> Good times on baseball trips. Absolutely. Yes, we'll, we'll leave that for another episode. Not <laughs> it's not story time this time? No, no not story today. Time today. All right. All right, thanks well, for being thanks on, for Yep. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Talk yeah. to you guys. Well, that's a pretty good interview. What was, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from talking to our good buddy, Carl? Uh, definitely something that I've talked about before and looked a little bit into, uh, the eccentric portion of lifting. And that's where you usually get the strongest from is the eccentric portion. You see people that are learning how to do a push-up or a pull-up. And typically the first, the first progression that they're doing is they're just holding at the top of the bar, right? For like a pull up and they're just letting themselves down. And you do like, you know, five to six of those, you're just letting yourself down. You're just building up that muscle, that strength, the eccentric portion. Same for a push up. You just let yourself down. I, I found that to be very interesting and something I can relate to. So. See, I'd learned that you kind of want to do that stretch shortening cycle where fast eccentric leads to fast concentric mm -hmm. where it's, so I thought that was a little interesting with the slow eccentric into a fast concentric. So I might have to try that out. Yeah, absolutely. What's our top five today, Mike? I'd say let's do top five sports teams. All right. That's an easy one. Yep. You want to go first? 
Yeah, I'll just um, see baseball, Atlanta Braves, you know, Iowa for anything, mostly basketball, football, wrestling, and as much baseball as I can pay attention to. Creighton basketball, season ticket holder. The Team USA soccer has always been a fun one to watch. Fun to root on your country. I think that's about all I watch, so we'll go with uh, Jordan Spieth. There you go. There's my other team, my last team. The one-man team. Very good. All right, well, for me, I'd have to say, number one, Nebraska Cornhuskers. Sorry, Mike, I know you're an Iowa fan, but my whole entire family, they were Husker fans growing up, so I had to follow suit. Um, So Cornhuskers are definitely number one. Number two, Boston Red Sox, definitely my favorite baseball team. Um, geez, I don't watch a whole lot of sports. I don't watch a lot of basketball, so I can't say I have a favorite basketball team. Um, so I'll stick with schools then. I'll go with, um, for another school, University of South Dakota, Coyotes, go Yotes. And then I'll keep it in Vermilion with, um, Vermilion Tangers, any kind of Vermilion Tanger athletic event. I try to tune in and hope the hope for the best for the old VHS. And then for number five, I'm going to go ahead and say my, my current team, the Mount Mari Lancers. Been, it's actually a lot of fun here in Yankton. There's a lot of there's a lot of support from the community for the for the Lancers, even though they're an NAIA team. And it's it's fun to be at the basketball games and and to be coaching at like the baseball games and everything. It's a neat atmosphere. So that's my top five for the day. That's fun. So we awesome. learned a little bit from Carlson, and now all the listeners can learn a little bit more about us. You're dang right. That was episode seven of the Mike and Joe Strength Show. Thanks for tuning in, folks.